Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. This week, I'm excited to share a really fun conversation I had a couple of months ago with the fabulous Kathy Barr. Kathy is a multi-talented woman. She's a USDF gold medalist, an author, a horse development specialist, and a natural horsemanship instructor. She's also a dedicated mom, a human who's passionate about learning and helping horses and people to succeed. In this conversation, we delve into the simple but not easy topic of staying balanced. Kathy also shares a really cool strategy for dealing with negative thoughts that can get in our way. She also shares some fabulous tips on dealing with horses that are experiencing separation anxiety. There's a lot in here. I'm really excited that you've joined us, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Kathy. I'm so excited that you're here on the podcast. So we're going to just jump right in. And uh, I got to meet you and John in Colorado, like I think it was over a decade ago, at least. And, you know, I got to know you both as professionals and, you know, fabulous uh, horsemen and women and presenters. And, but I'm really curious about how it all started. So how did you get into this horse thing? (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, I was always kind of that horse crazy girl, like uh, family members for Christmas and birthdays. I was always getting little play horses, shirts with horses on them, everything horses. Um, And actually my first horse that I ended up with was a saddlebred. So my first riding experience was riding saddle seat and with a double bridle and kind of a very different path. Um, then I went to horse camp and at horse camp, I got to jump this white mare over a jump, quote unquote. It was, you know, like a pole raised two inches off the ground. And I was convinced at that moment that I was flying. Like it was the most incredible feeling I'd ever had. And I decided from then on, if I could choose, the only thing I wanted to do in life was ride horses and jump over stuff. (laughs) So um, my saddlebred was not really jumping inclined. That was kind of not her specialty. So I ended up working and doing some paper routes and babysitting and those sorts of things so I could buy my first horse. And I got a off the track thoroughbred. Um, So she was super challenging. Her last race was about 24 hours before my trial ride on her. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it should have been a little bit of a heads up. I went to the barn and uh, I was like 13 at the time. And the girl who normally rode the horses at the barn, the owner said, hop on this horse and show her go. And the owner goes, no, I'm not getting on that. Or the rider said, I'm not getting on that one. Absolutely not. And so I'm like, I'll get on her. (laughs) I'll take her. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I rode her and you survived and bought her. Um, so that was my first horse and then kind of a long story from there. Um, I ended up deciding to get out of horses because the horses weren't having fun and I wasn't either. Um, and I just thought this is very far from kind of my black stallion view of horses. Like, you know, I had this vision of like horses running to me and loving me and us having this partnership. And what I was doing at the time wasn't that at all. Um, so I kind of, by this point I was in college and I decided to switch careers and go into marine biology and I was headed down that path. And then I saw a little clip of Pat Pirelli riding a white horse bareback and bridalist on TV. And he did, you know, he did awesome stuff. He was like galloping and cutting cows. But at the time I was into jumping. And so I was sort of like, well, that's cool. And then he jumped something and it was like two eyes, two ears. I was interested. Uh, So he ended up doing a horse fair in my area just a few weeks from when I saw that little clip and I went. Um, I ended up winning tickets to the Savvy Conference or what's now the Savvy Summit um, and decided that I'd never been to Colorado before. uh, And I wanted to take the trip before I gave up the whole horse thing. 
Um, and then I went out there and uh, lived the next 10 years at his ranch. <laughs> wow. So you kind of dove in. Yes. Yeah. I decided I was like the, and the thing that sold me was that horses were running to people with their ears forward. Like they were happy to be with their people. There were mares and foals and he had a Zorse at that time and warm bloods and quarter horses and every horse, even given a grass and a pasture was just sticking with their human. And I was like, this guy like teaches how to live like the black stallion. Like this is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I was like, this is definitely, if this is how horses can be, I'm staying in the horse game. And, and that's where I stayed. That's really cool. So um, how old were you when you went to the ranch? Um, I first went to the ranch, I, either 18 or 19. Okay. And, and I was did, 19, my first. Okay. And did you still have the off the track thoroughbred or did you? I did. Uh, she was an interesting, um, she ended up going blind like two years after I purchased her and I still rode her cause she was my only horse. So that was kind of an interesting journey and, uh, really allowed me to feel kind of a horse totally turning loose with trusting because I took her on trail rides and took her everywhere and did everything with her. Um, and then she kind of retired and I had a big Percheron thoroughbred mare um, named Chloe. And so uh, she's a few people have kind of gotten to meet her through the years and whatnot. So she was the horse that I took with me um, and she was with me my stay at the ranch. Okay. Very cool. So Somewhere along the line there, you're at the ranch, you're all in, you're like, let me, whatever you guys are doing, I want a part of it. And I think yeah. that's a common story. My story is similar to that. Um, I wasn't as young as you, but uh, when did you start thinking, I think I want to do this professionally. I think I want to be an instructor. Mm, that's a good question. So I always wanted to do it professionally from like a horse training and horse development and competition perspective. And I was really fortunate because the first couple of years I was out there, uh, David and Karen O'Connor were doing uh, courses and they were fresh from the Olympic team and everything. So it was so inspiring. Um, and I knew I wanted to do that kind of horse professional side. As far as becoming a teacher, it's interesting because I never have felt qualified to be a teacher because I've always felt like I needed to know more before I had something to offer. Um, and we had the opportunity here in Kentucky to ride with Ray Hunt, um, at a thoroughbred farm, actually starting thoroughbreds. And we were listening to him talk one lunch and asking questions and things. And he said, if everything there was to know about horsemanship was a tree, a huge oak tree, and he points to one in Kentucky. And he says, I know about a leaf or a branch worth. And I thought, oh my gosh. If this guy only knows like a leaf's worth of horsemanship through a lifetime and he's like a legend, I have no shot of ever knowing enough. Um, so as far as wanting to be an instructor, I'll let you know when I feel like I have enough to offer. Right, right. So, I mean, the instructing is kind of something that's come and I love it and I love watching students succeed and helping them reach their goals and, and particularly have fun with their horses. Um, but I, I guess I never quite felt like uh, I was ready to have enough to offer and, and still don't. So I find that fascinating because as I've gone along in life, I've had a few different instances where I felt the same way. Like, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't have enough knowledge. Today's the day they're going to find out that I don't know, you know, right. and, um, and I, so I've been curious about that. I've asked people about it and I actually saw a clip of Jerry Seinfeld. Um, this is going to relate. Um, <laughs> and he was talking, I mean, I think he's one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah. And he was talking about, um, even later on in his comedy career, before he'd go out on stage, he'd say to himself, this is the night that they're going to find out I'm not funny. And I just thought how interesting that these people that are excellent at what they do, you are excellent at what you do. I mean, I got to see you. I, I mean, I haven't seen you like we talked about for about a decade, but you're, you're so impressive at that time with your, with your teaching ability. And I just find that fascinating that a lot of people that are, are good at what they do and are um, dedicated to getting better often feel like that feeling of, 
I'll let you know when I when I'm when I've arrived, you know, when right. I've earned the status. So I, I think that's a common element in striving for for excellence is is kind of knowing that you don't know it all. Yeah, yeah. And I totally agree because you're always because you're reaching for something that's higher, you never quite feel like you're there. So, yeah. you know, as soon as you go, hey, yeah, I went up that rung of the ladder, let's go another 10 or 20. Right, right. So you it sounds like so you had you had uh, competition goals, which I know you still have, and I mm-hmm. want to ask you about. So you had, you had competitive goals, and then with your time with um, with Ray at the thoroughbred facility, um, you ha- then were you know horse development goals, and probably before then, yeah. um, and then uh, the teaching started to come in. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that you're you're kind of doing all three, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Like, how do you, so tell me about what your competition goals are. Okay. And then, um, and then you and John and your son, Luke, um, have this fabulous, uh, horse development center in Kentucky, uh, raising the bar. Um, so you guys are developing horses. How do you, how do you balance all of it? <laughs> Good question. Um, the, I suppose the challenge is the balance because we do it as a family. Um, right. So the, the challenge is making sure we have on the schedule also specific family time that's not farm horse related family time. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing all of them, you know, I, was, I suppose I've always been one of those people who's it's been really hard for me to pick what I'm most interested in. Um, I've always liked kind of the whole aspect. And it's one of the reasons I spent so much time uh, studying is because I just felt like there was more to know, you know, whether it's driving horses or Liberty or young horses or foals, there's so much to learn. And it's also so interesting. Um, so competition goals wise, I've, I had big goals. Like I remember my, one of my first years at the ranch, I went on my 17, two hand black horse and, rode her up to Pat. And I said, um, and I was a level one graduate at this time. And so I said to him, I said, I want to go to the Olympics and win. And I want to use this program to do it. What level do I need to be at that I could expect that to happen? Right. Right? A little cocky, right? But (laughs) it was uh, through level six. And I went, okay. And at the time, everybody, the highest anybody was, was level three. And they were the people that I was, you know, you're drooling over and inspired to be like and things. And so I thought, okay, like, and I thought I'll just ride off and I'll work till I'm past level six and then I'll go talk to Pat again. Mentality about it. Um, so that was my goal. And over the years, I've gotten the opportunity to see like how much it takes, not just on the horsemanship side, but the network building and all the other aspects that go into that level of competition. Um, and I'm still passionate about competing and being the best that I can be, but I found, I really like kind of developing the young horses and bringing them through sort of a low to mid level of the competition. Um, and if I have a horse that'll go farther, you know, I'd still love to do that. But I think for me, the the driving force is to be excellent at whatever level that I'm competing at um, and excellent by whatever standards I make for me and my horse, not necessarily by ribbon, ribbon accomplishments or those sorts of things. That's um, really cool. So those are those are my competition goals on that side. And then the next part what was the next question. The, um, the horse development side of it, you kind of have answered it, like the keeping it all balanced, but is there anything? Yeah. The horse development, Um, you know, the horse development, we get a lot of outside horses in. And so we kind of keep those going throughout the year. And I find that staying in touch with the kind of the beginning levels of the horse development at the same time that I'm trying to advance the upper levels of what I'm doing with horses, uh, for me works out to be a really good balance. Because, you know, there has to be a little bit more freedom and kind of expression in the young horses so that they don't feel blocked and it can be this sort of looser way to success with them. Whereas with the upper level horses, you're really dealing with kind of fine details and fine tuning things. Um, So I find for me, it works to balance because I kind of need both so that I can stay balanced as a horseman. Right. Um, and then we stay here all year. So in the winter, our competition season closed, not closes, but slows down quite a bit. 
So that's the time that I use usually to play with some new fun behaviors. Like most of my competition horses will do a little bit more liberty or some kind of group riding stuff. We do a little more freestyle during that time. So they can, their year kind of shifts a little bit because we stay here. And, and when the competitions slow down, we sort of bump up the liberty and the fun and the play and that kind of thing. Right. That's really cool. So it's like you're, you talked a little bit about how you stay balanced yourself, but you also have to consider the development of the horse, whether they're advanced or just starting out, keeping them balanced. Um, yeah, absolutely. To, yeah. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing with this podcast and um, some of the other things that I'm doing is I'm, I'm really interested in the, the learning process and I'm also interested in how a common element of being a learner is often is struggling, right? It's not always easy. Sometimes yeah. it really sucks. Um, and I found, you know, working with students and then myself that there's also this common element where we feel like we're the only ones, like we're the only ones in the arena that, you know, look like an idiot or, you know, no, no one else is struggling like this. And, so do you, do you have a story or a time when you were struggling as a learner and what were some things that helped you through it? <laughs> um, a time, right? That's a hard one to pick. I feel like there was only there. one. Yeah, right. I feel like <laughs> right. I have like a story from every day where I'm running up against something that I'm trying to improve on, which gives that opportunity for learning. Um, so a time. I think in general, the biggest thing for me is step one is I have to keep showing up. Uh, so sometimes, particularly when you're going through a really rough patch, whether it's you've hit this puzzle with your horse that's really hard to solve or there's a confidence issue that's come up or what or whatnot, sometimes it's easier not to show up. So either just not to go to the barn if you're at a boarding facility or just kind of not address that issue because you can sort of stay more comfortable on this side of it. Um, so regardless of what's going on, the first thing I try to do is show up, That's awesome. <laughs> which is, you know, a huge piece of it. And then, and then the second thing I try to be in charge of is my, what's going on inside my head. So I feel like us just like a really great horse that might be high spirited. If they're not given direction, then a lot of times what they come up with is not that positive and progressive. So I feel like the same thing was sort of with my inner voice. If I don't give it direction, it will come up with things that are not positive and progressive. Um, so first I have to show up. Next, I have to focus my inner voice and give it a specific thing or two things. And I'm kind of, I like to keep things really simple. So it's never more than three things to focus on. It's like one to three, you can't have more than three things to focus on because it's going to get scattered and chaotic for me personally. Right. Um, so kind of just like I would with a young horse or a high spirited horse, the second piece is focusing my inner voice. That is awesome. I have never thought of it like looking at your inner voice like you would a horse. Yeah. And it's so it's got all this power and all this energy. So we sort yeah. of have to go. And this is where I need all that to be focused. Right. Right. That is really, that's awesome. Oh, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Perfect. Rehome it. <laughs> yes. Um, so talking about, um, you know, hard things and struggles, you know, one of the things that a lot of students, um, people, myself, uh, can struggle with is when you have a horse that has separation anxiety. And a few years ago, I actually have it here. Ooh, you you wrote this amazing book um, that is so packed with information and things that people can do, um, like can actually put into action with their horses um, to help with uh, separation anxiety. So. That's a crazy thing to take on writing a book. Um, why, why did you, why did you do it? Mm, uh, so I, uh, almost nine years ago now, we had our son Luke and um, I've always been around animals more than people and particularly more than babies and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a totally new journey for me to have Luke. 
and to kind of experience that. And one of the things that was interesting is that he basically, babies, particularly him, had separation anxiety. But unlike with people, we we couldn't just say, mom's just around the corner. She's going to go have a shower. She needs five minutes or whatever. You'll be fine. Um, And it made me view, because of what I felt on the inside while I was watching him experience that, it made me have a whole new kind of view of what the horses were going through with the separation anxiety. Because similar to the baby, like everything in their DNA, everything in their makeup is like, you have to stay with mom to stay alive, to get all your needs met. And with the horses, they have to stay with each other to have to stay alive and to meet all their needs. So it's like a core innate, every ounce of your being is made up for that draw to be together. Um, So then I was like, oh, I should write a blog about this. Like, maybe this could help people kind of this insight. So I started to write and then, and I was writing at night. Um, At the time, Luke was only sleeping like 20 minute stretches. So I'd write like 20 minutes throughout the night (laughs) while he was sleeping. And uh, poor John, I probably kept him up in bed with my computer screen, like typing away, hunched over. Um, But, uh, and then I kept writing and then pretty soon it was too many pages for a blog. And then it was, John's like, why don't you do a book about it? I'm like, I can't write a book, like write with the teaching thing again. Like I don't have enough to write a book. Um, and then we just, I just kind of flowed with it and it turned into a book and I had lots of people support on the way with some editing and pictures and those kinds of things. Um, so, and I wanted to make it uh, really user-friendly, almost like if I was giving a lesson to someone or trying to help them with it, because we can talk about theory a lot in our day-to-day lives or with each other. And it makes total sense. And you're like, yes, that's what I need to do. And then you like go out with your horse with the rope and you're like, I don't know how to put that in action. Like it made sense when I was listening to the zoom or the podcast, but I don't know how to do that in motion. Um, So that's why there's so many different little detailed exercises. Cause it's like, well, this is one way you could put it in motion. Here's another way. Uh, to just kind of help that imagination and and help us get it from theory out to our fingertips. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And that's one of the things I really appreciated about it is you had both. I mean, you talk about the theory and and really looking at it from the horse's point of view because that's so important to have in place. Because if you're thinking about it as a human, like you <laughs> talked about with your experience with Luke, that was such an eye opener for you that you were like, this is this is nature's design. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, they're thinking about survival and it's not just, Oh, you'll see your friend later and knock it off. And you know, you're being silly. So having that, that theory, but then, I mean, most of the book is exercises that can be put in into place, which I really like. Um, is there something like if, if you, if you could give some, a couple pieces of advice to somebody that's struggling with it, that's listening now and is struggling with it, what could you share with them? They definitely should yeah. buy the book. Um, I I wish there was like a prescription that was like, go pick this up at Walmart and it'll solve it. Um, However, the biggest thing I would say is preparation and progressive preparation. So that if you have a separation anxiety situation in the moment, you just need to survive. You and your, like, you have to find a way that you can stay safe and you have to find a way that you can help your horse feel like he's going to be alive. Uh, then you learn from that situation and go, okay, setting this up better for next time. Maybe my horse constantly lives in the pasture with another horse and I never separate him except when I try to go on a trail ride with my friend. So progressively, how could I do little steps of what the trail ride is like with my friend in preparation every day so that it becomes a normal part of the routine for my horse and that they develop a little more self-confidence when they're on their own. And that could be with the horse that's left behind or the horse that you're taking. That's really cool. So um, like what would be a couple of steps that somebody could take in between just going out for the trail ride and, <laughs> uh, and leaving them in the pasture and never doing anything with them? Yeah. So if you think about the trail ride sort of being on one end of the spectrum or the path, and then on the other end is when they're hanging out and grazing. The, the kind of the key for the developing the horses and doing it in a progressive kind of way that creates the least amount of stress is to find out how small each step along there is. 
So if we are going to really chunk it down, maybe it's when my horse sees me coming to catch him for the trail ride, he starts to get anxious. So maybe I need to just practice approaching the pasture with the halter, with whatever I look like when I'm getting ready to go for a trail ride and then retreating away. Maybe he does, doesn't spike until I start to do the snap on the gate to get him out of the pasture. So then maybe I need to do the snap and then put him back, do that kind of approach and retreat. Or when I undo the snap, we come out and we just graze instead of going on a trail ride. Or we come out and then he gets his alfalfa cube soaked in water or whatever he gets for kind of a special treat. Um, so one of the things is uh, for us as an exercise is to go, how small can I make the pieces? And then can I check out which piece do I feel and go, ooh, I'm starting to think I know what's going to happen two steps down the line and I don't want to. Right. That's really good. And I think that's like, you know, as humans, that's so hard to do because we can get so uh, stuck on the idea of what we want to do. So we're thinking trail ride. And even there, like if, you know, if you break it down into its smallest chunk and you go, well, all I'm doing is going to the gate when am I ever going to get to the trail ride? But one of the things that, you know, looking at your book and then my own study of horsemanship has been thinking about that. If you can change your mindset and go, well, that piece of going to the gate or whatever step you are along the way, that is a trail ride. It's it's the part of the trail ride you're on at the time. And you're, you're building toward having this vision of having your horse completely relaxed the whole way, you know, along. Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's really cool. And once you, you know, once we're diligent, we kind of fall in love with that puzzle solving and that kind of problem solving with the horses, then it's like, well, of course I would do this. Of course, I'm not gonna, you know, leave this pothole in my driveway. Cause then I'm going to have a pothole next because my car is bouncing. Right. And so, you know, each one of those little potholes you run into, you're like, Oh, got to fix this up. And you can feel good about it. Cause you know, that you're progressing towards the future. Right. And it, it, you're going to see it show up somewhere else in your horse movement. So whether you fix the pothole, like let's say you leave the pothole, you're going to find that pothole in other areas on the trail, you know, getting them into the trailer, all those things. But if you take the time to fix it, you're going to see that improvement in. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you won't even know that uh, it was something that you fixed because it's not a bobble later. Right. Just like, oh, all of a sudden my horse is a wonderful partner and everything's going well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now it's time for a short commercial break. I'd like to take a minute to share about a special virtual event coming up October 9th through the 30th called the Heart of Liberty. This is a three week virtual clinic that I've put together with the fabulous David Lichman. David is not only a master at Liberty, he's a master educator. If you've been wondering about how to get started with Liberty or you've been studying Liberty for years and you're interested in taking it to the next level, this clinic is not to be missed. So I hope you will join us. You can find out more at davidlichman.com. I'm really curious about, um, we talked a little bit about, uh, that you guys are doing horse development. Um, and you, you're all, you're all doing it. Uh, if no one, if, if people haven't seen the, what you guys are doing with Luke's littles, uh, it's so fabulous. So even Luke is, um, participating in the development and he's got minis that he's bringing along. And, uh, so, um, what do you, for you, what part of the horse development gets you fired up? Like, what do you, what do you love about um, that piece of it? Mm, What do I love about that piece of it? Um, I think once we get the horses ready to learn the learning side. So a lot of the horses that come in for the horse development, some of them are just fresh starts. So they just kind of show up ready. Like, Hey, who are you? What do you have to offer? What are we doing? And that's a blast. And then a lot of the horses that come in have some sort of uh, block before they're ready to learn. Either it's a fear-based one, I don't think I can trust you because you might hurt me or you might make me unsafe, or um, still really from a trust issue, 
I don't want to trust you because every human before that I've trusted has had bad ideas or ideas where I have to work hard or I'm uncomfortable or those sorts of things. Right. Um, so once we get through that and you kind of see that crusty layer go away, <laughs> you get to see kind of the, the horse's innate character come out and you get to play with them as a learner and they're ready and in that learning frame of mind. Um, I find every horse, regardless of the level, that part is just so rewarding because they're yeah. present and they're here and they're hundred percent in, you know, they're not worried about what happened last year or whatever. Like this is the moment they're with you and, and you can have that conversation. Yeah, that is so, that's so cool. Um, and you guys have the owner, the owners are usually able to not necessarily participate every day because they may not live in Kentucky, but they get to be a part of it and hear like what you guys are doing. Yeah, we try to keep in touch. So we get a lot of uh, horses that come in kind of from a distance, like some even come in on haulers and the owners because most of us have to have a day-to-day -day life that's not just riding horses, right. um, aren't able to take time off to come down. So when that's the case, we're able to use things like this, like Zoom, um, and we'll do lessons with them through Zoom. So they can still see their horse. They can ask live in the moment questions, like what's going on. Um, and if they can come and they're local, then we'll do once or twice a week lessons. That's what John's doing right now. We have a really cute little local horse in right now. So he's giving a lesson up there. Um, and then, and then we have some students that can come. So they might come into town from out of town and stay one or two nights and do two or three lessons kind of back to back. So we try to, we try to have the students involved as much as possible because that's the relationship that their horses are going home with. And, you know, some, some of the confusion comes with horses where people come to us and say, so-and-so put on flying lead changes on my horse back in 2010, as if flying lead changes are like a new grill that you get put on your car and then it's there every day, no matter who drives it, Yeah, which is an interesting thought, but not quite how like living, intelligent, feeling beings show up. Right. Like, that's great that he put that on. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be there every day when you pull your horse out of the stall. Right. And it's not going to be there if you have a different communication. So we really try to work with the humans so that they know what to do when their horse is having an off day or when their horse challenges their leadership or says, I'm scared of this. Because unfortunately, we can't just put on features right. that show up. Right. And that's a cool, it's kind of a cool comparison because it's, it, it's if, you, if you stuck with the idea of putting on the grill, it isn't it isn't just that something's put on the, the owner has to learn how to, you know, put on the grill, so to speak. Yes. Um, so if, if somebody else has done it, it might be held on by zip ties and, you know, right. and, and duct tape and it's starting to wear and something knocked it. And, you know, so you've got to be able to be a, a um, diagnostic, that's not the right word, but you, you need to be able to diagnose what the issue is. And so you've got to help the owners understand things on a way deeper level. Um, yes. To be able to see what's going on with their horse. And yeah, yeah. that's, that's really cool. Um, so I want to go back to um, what you were saying about the horses that come in that are, are, are not brand new. You know, they have some trust issues. Maybe they're shut down. Um, do you have a, a, a horse that you, that comes to mind that was cha particularly challenging to help come out? And what did you, what did you do to help them? Well, we kind of have like our uh, hall of fame list of horses, uh -huh. <laughs> for, you know, and I, I've often, I've thought about that a few times. I think it'd be, for me, it would be an interesting book to read, to kind of like write about those horses that sort of stick out, out in our minds. Because those horses are the ones that really still teach John and I the most, you know, we're learning from them, <clears throat> because for whatever reason, something is really challenging for them. And often it's opening up to the leadership, so that you can kind of have a conversation about making a change or making a difference. It's that idea trying to help them get to the place where not would you do this for me, but would you consider doing this for me? And once you get them to consider doing it, that's often the tipping point 
where you're sort of on the right track. Um, so it's a little hard to choose. There's kind of a top three that I'm thinking of. Um, there's one though, that she occupied a lot of my mental, emotional, and physical attention to the point where I was even dreaming about her at night, trying to really think about how could I help this horse just go, okay, I'm ready for a conversation. Um, she came, uh, she was a lovely, lovely warm blood mare and she came out of the competition world um, and had been competing decently successful. Uh, I think she was jumping around three foot six and doing okay, but there were some quirky things that were coming up and sort of some big issues that were coming. So uh, when we brought her in, um, she showed up and felt a lot like kind of a left brain introvert. So she just felt very held kind of into herself, felt like she was very smart and thinking, but really reserved and not quick to motion. Um, uh, so even though her job was jumping, she, we found out was terrified of ground poles. So <laughs> given like a ground pole on the ground, she absolutely couldn't do it. Like could break out in a full body sweat, like shaking, quivering, if asked to go over ground pole on the ground. Um, so I played with that and she was here the first 30 days I played with that. And I always played with her on a rope so that I could help her. And she got to the point where she was super obedient. And so I would ask her to do it and she could do it. But we hadn't got to that point where it felt like she was kind of turning loose to that. I'm okay with this now and I'm confident with it. Right. Um, so we even got to the point where I ended up putting in her paddock and in her stall in the paddock, we ended up laying down ground poles and we just had like a little ground pole kind of square around her hay. And then we had a ground pole little square around her water so that all she needed to do was step over a ground pole and then she could have hay and water. Um, and she spent the first 12 hours not eating or drinking because wow. she didn't want to cross the ground pole. So, and the whole time, you know, I'm like looking and I'm thinking and I'm watching and giving her a space because I really want it to be her choice and to help her kind of. So then I was like, all right, what could I do to help her? So I went in with her and I, I brought her with me and I put her in the hay square. <laughs> so she's, she, and she, because I said she's obedient, she agreed to cross those poles to get into the feed square. And so then I put her in there. And then she was in there for 12 hours. She never wow. left. <laughs> and, and Kathy, you may have already mentioned this, but this is, this is past the point where she's shaking and shivering. She's gotten to where she's tolerating it. She's she will obediently, I can have her on a 12 foot line. I can point at the ground pole on the rope and line. And with a loose line, she will obediently cross over it. But you can just see wow. that she's not okay yet. You know, right. she's gone. Okay. I know what you want. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to stay out of trouble. I'm doing this for you, but she hadn't gotten to where she was doing it. Okay. You know, kind of in her own skin. Yeah. And, and the reason that I kind of felt that and realized that is, you know, horses and people, if we're scared enough, even if we do something a thousand times, the time when we do it a thousand and one times, we're not any better at it. It's almost like you may not remember those last thousand times. So you do it a thousand and one and it's like the very first time. Um, I used to be like that with showing before I started natural horsemanship, I would go into a show ring and show and I wouldn't breathe and I wouldn't, somebody would come out, I'd come out and somebody would go, how to go. And I would have no memory right. of what had happened in the ring, completely right brained, like shut down, just relying on survival and muscle memory right. <laughs> to around. So I can relate a little bit to that with the horses where even though she's jumping three foot six and being decently successful, like she may as well have never done any of that because she wasn't present and kind of in her own skin doing it. Wow. Um, so, so we went on with this and we, uh, it took about, um, it took about two weeks before she was crossing the ground poles on her own to get to the water and the hay. Um, and that was living with them every day. She was never in an environment loose where she didn't have the poles as part of the situation where she had to cross one side to get to the other side. Um, but even at the end of two weeks, like once she crossed, she'd be there for hours before she decided. And it was fast and tense and tight. 
Um, so she was a really interesting kind of recent puzzle that we had. Yeah. Um, and we got her in the end to where before she left, she was with us for about five months. And she got to in the end where I could ride her over cross rails, little verticals, and she could be on a loose rein and we could trot approach, we could jump and she could trot away. Um, we even got her to where she was seeking the jumps a little bit at Liberty so that at Liberty I could send and she could seek out a jump and jump it and come back. Um, she also got to the point where she was super extroverted and playful and quite this huge presence when she came into the barn. So it was interesting to see her totally switch from that sort of reserved, shut down, introverted energy to this massive, like, as soon as anybody drives on the property, they're like, who is that? Wow. And, you know, just so noticeable. The biggest piece for her, I'd say 80% of her time here, 80 to 90% of the time was getting her ready to learn, you know, getting her to kind of unlock and go, I would consider making a change. Um, and as soon as she considered making a change, then stuff started to flow. Well, and I just think about like, you know, what you did with the ground poles, some people might look at that and go, well, how is that accomplishing anything? Like, how is that training? Right. But the way you're sharing it, you know, getting her ready to learn, there's a good chance that she never would have had that experience. Like she never would have had somebody come into her life that said, I can see what the issue is. It's that you're shut down. You're not, you're not even all the things that I could do that were more advanced and fancy are going to go for not because you're not in that learning mindset. Um, So what an incredible gift to her and for you, like the learning that happened for yes. you too is so cool. But I just and it's exactly, that, sorry, it's exactly no. like that horse in the pasture, you know, how far, like these issues are popping up when they're jumping three, six or four foot. Well, how many steps back do we need to take before we find the pothole or before we find the piece? Like, okay, wait a second. She's not okay crossing a pole. And then wait a second. She's not even okay with me being her leader. You know, like these are the basic things and the cool things with horses that are so talented and natural like that. If you can solve those things at the base, then the rest just, it allows their innate character to just flow and then they can be successful. But, But for whatever reason, some horses are not as capable of skipping those early steps and some horses do and they are pretty much okay. And some just cannot, you know, so yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Um, so I'm sure people, many people that are listening are wishing that they could send their horses to you guys. And, uh, and we, we try to do like we did with her, where it's not just the session that's with us. That's the learning situation, you know, like for her living with the ground poles, she was like in education 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, right as well as the, you know, one-on-one sessions. And we try to kind of have that be the situation, whether it's rotating the horses through the farm or having them learn, or we have stalls along the arena so that they can kind of observe and get used to some of the stimulus that the horses in sessions are having and whatnot. That's awesome. Um, We love it. So what's that? I said, we love it. We like can't get enough. We're like, well, well, wait, I'm not sleeping and thinking about it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That. Well, and it's cool when we were talking the other day, you were sharing that often you and John, you know, as you guys are having breakfast or dinner, you're talking about the horses that you got there. I mean, it's so obvious that you guys are, you're in it and you love what you do. We do. It's yeah, yeah. it's breakfast, lunch and dinner. And that's why I said, we have to like schedule, like we are not allowed to talk about horses for the next (laughs) hour. Otherwise, and then we'll like catch ourselves to be like, I was just gonna say, right? I was gonna say, how's that working? It doesn't. So I'll like take a like I'll take a note. I'm like, okay, I want to make sure when my hour's up that I mention this and this. Oh my god, that's so great. That is so funny. Um, so um, what are you guys up to next? Like what what events do you have coming up? Um, so I'm pretty excited. It's it seems like a small thing, but I've got the young horse. Well, she's not that young anymore. I have a horse (laughs) that Uh I bought as a weanling and this is her seven-year-old year. year, So it's been kind of a long time coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's been super slow to mature and then had a injury over the winter that's taken forever to heal. 
but she's qualified for American Eventing Championships. So at the end of the month, uh, we do a little beginner novice uh, championship course. So with her, so I'm very excited because it's been a long time coming. That's (laughs) awesome. And is that in Kentucky? It is. So um, it rotates around and this year it is in Kentucky. Um, So I'm excited to take her there. Very cool. And people, you do a really good job of sharing about your competitions. I love seeing the photos. So if people want to kind of follow what you're doing, is that on your Facebook page? It should be. It'll be under Raising the Bar or Kathy Bar. I usually try to do kind of both. Um, uh, Last year, this was, you asked about kind of the interesting horses. And last year I had the, the last two years I've had the dressage horse that I've been competing with. Um, And he is another one that's kind of on that top list, top 10 of most interesting horses that have taught us a ton. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, and he was kind of came into the realm and it was sort of just by chance that I got to enter the dressage world with him. Um, So that's, that was a huge fun journey and he helped me achieve my uh, USDF gold medal. So that was awesome. Wow. Um, And I still, I have a lot of questions. The reason I bring it up is I have a lot of questions like, well, who's your next dressage horse? And um, I do love dressage and I have a lot of respect for it and I'm still riding and taking lessons to get better. But most of my attention is usually based around, uh, competition wise eventing. Um, so I do love dressage and I love you all, but I'm mainly eventing. <laughs> you like, you like the big jumps. I do. Yeah. It's that little girl on that white horse that like fell in love with that flying feeling. Yeah, that's. That's awesome. I've got a quick story for you. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you, you know, Amy Bowers. Yes. uh, And she also loves the big jumps. And when I was working with her, um, one of the things I would help her with is to put the jumps up, you know, to raise them up. And, um, and we got to, I believe it was four feet. It, um, it may have been a little bit higher because it was basically as high as the jump standard would go. Yeah. You ran high standard. That's, that's as far as I go. I won't, it's not going any higher <laughs> because I can't watch it. <laughs> so, cause she wanted me to raise it up higher than, I guess it wasn't as high as it could go. Cause it was still, we were still able to get it higher. And I was like, no, that's it. <laughs> that's when you get creative and start to like stack Cavalettis on top of upright barrels so that you can add more height. No, no, not for me, <laughs> but it's, it's awesome. I, I, I get it. I appreciate it. Um, and I love that I can live vicariously through both of you, but uh, I'll and stick I say, you know, I think the reason that I like going fast and jumping things on horses is that I am not a fast runner. Like if I was with anyone and we were being chased by a bear, you were safe. Cause I would be eaten first. Like <laughs> I cannot run and uh-huh. I do not like lift off the ground perhaps cause I'm tall and I can reach things that I've never practiced, but my jump ability is very small. So I use the horses so that I could go fast and jump high. <laughs> and you can get away from the bear. This is right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a story for a different time. I did have a horse save me from a bear, but oh, really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think uh, the books that you're talking about, you know, I know you're joking kind of, but I, I think you should do it. I think it's so interesting to hear the stories that you've, you know, learned from those top 10 horses. And then you can include as a bonus, the uh, get away from the bear story. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Well, she's, she's definitely one of them on it. She was probably my first challenging horse. But. Wow. Um, so uh, we talked a little bit about like people can find you on Facebook. Um, and then your website. It is uh, jkbar.com. So the okay. challenging thing about that website is that bar is spelled like our last name, which has two A's and one R, right. which um, is challenging because most are the other way. Yes. Yeah. So, and I'll include that and I'll have little notes, okay. um, show notes. So I'll put that in the show notes. Um and so people can find you there. And um, if if people are are you guys doing? You mentioned you're doing some Zoom lessons with students that have horses in development with you. Do you ever do any uh, outside of that? Like, can students learn? We do. Yeah, uh, I've got a few that are pretty regular every week, um, and then we we kind of do a few more with like horses that go home with training. So we've been able to use Zoom for those, which has been really handy. Um, and then some, a few of my students are using, there's like a Pivo uh, through their website. You can kind of do one. 
Um, so we've been able to do that. And it's funny though, because I can like take over the Pivo controls so I can zoom around. I sort of feel like a stalker or something odd because I can just look wherever I want with their Pivo. But anyway, off that is, yeah, that's, that's really cool though. The technology is getting so amazing that you could coach somebody from far away and even control the camera. I did not know that you could do that. That's, that's really cool. It's very um, cool. Yeah. So people that are listening, um, could contact you and say, Hey, I've got some issues with the horse and you'd be able to help them even if they can't come to you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And you know, there's a few second delay, so it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good for, you know, thousands of miles between us sometimes. Yeah. Really cool. Awesome. Well, um, we could talk for a long time. Yes. But I know you've got a camping trip to pack. For. We do. So this is one of those scheduled in events. So we are going to do a little overnight camping trip to make sure Luke gets some summer family activities without horses. So cool. no horses. We're doing a uh, much to my boys surprise. I scheduled a totally primitive camping trip. So we'll be right by a creek and no cell phones. I don't even think there's cell service. So it'll be, it'll be a good little family time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, have a great trip and thank you, thank you so much for spending this time. Um, it's been awesome. I've learned a ton and I'm sure that people listening have loved it too. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk. Thanks about for it. having me, Molly. And uh, it was really good to catch up. When I listen back to that conversation, I find myself feeling really grateful that there are people like Kathy who have dedicated her life to learning as much as she can and then sharing it with us to benefit our horses. In an upcoming podcast, you'll get to hear more from the Barr family when I talk to John and their son, Luke. And John and Kathy and I have plans to collaborate on a virtual learning experience in 2022, so stay tuned on that. I'd like to leave you with a reminder of something that Kathy shared in the podcast, and that is to keep showing up, even on the hard days, especially on the hard days. Keep showing up. The world needs you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.